When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Golf Unfiltered Podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Cog Hill Golf and Country Club. You've heard me talk about Cog Hill every single episode this season, and we will continue to do so because they are one of the premier golf destinations in the Chicagoland area. Featuring 72 holes of championship golf, including the world-famous Dubs Dread, Cog Hill has just upgraded their entire practice academy to include Top Tracer, two bars, a food truck, and a full family experience that anyone will enjoy. Go out to coghillgolf.com to learn more. We are also brought to you by our friends over at WorldwideGolfShops.com. If you're looking to upgrade your game this year, or if you're just trying to pick up some new pieces of golf apparel, or even some training aids to help you score better, WorldwideGolfShops.com has you covered. The best part about this website is they always offer incredible deals on some of the newest equipment, even just days after its release. Once again, it's WorldwideGolfShops.com. Welcome to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for all things golf, including in-depth interviews, new equipment highlights, and answers to golf questions you might be too afraid to ask. My goal? To help you learn more about the game so you can enjoy it even more. Let's dive in. Welcome back, everyone, to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. Hope everyone's doing fine. You could reach me all over social media at Golf Unfiltered, and you could send me an email. I almost said find me an email. Send me an email. Adam at golfunfiltered.com. On today's show, we are continuing our discussion of my rereading of Ben Hogan's Five Lessons, The Modern Fundamentals of Golf. Lesson three, the first part of the golf swing, as Ben Hogan refers to it. And this is the uh, part of Ben Hogan's entire teaching philosophy that might be the most famous because this is where he introduces his pane of glass visualization. Uh, and illustration within his uh, five lessons. Now, as I've said in my previous two discussions on this book, uh, where we talked about Ben Hogan's thoughts on the golf grip, which is lesson one, and then stance and posture, which is lesson two, I think it's fair for me to say and important for me to remind everyone that I am not a certified PGA teaching professional. I am far from that. In fact, I'm a single-digit handicap, but I'm just someone who's played the game for a long time, and who really enjoys reading uh, teachings on golf, especially those of Ben Hogan. So uh, this is really just meant to be a commentary, a discussion, almost kind of like a book club feel, uh, me providing my impressions of reading this book, once again, because I do it every single year, uh, and then maybe something sticks with all of you. So please, this isn't medical advice by any means, but take my opinions of Ben Hogan's stuff with a grain of salt. And uh, maybe it helps you. I hope that it does. And if it doesn't, then, well, let's have a conversation about it. All right, so lesson three, the first part of the golf swing. This is a uh, very, very important part of Hogan's Five Lessons, the book itself. And there are actually two very famous um, teachings that come from this chapter, from this lesson, that continue on in modern teaching that you've probably heard or at least been taught at some point in your golf career. 
The first is what I mentioned earlier. It's the pane of glass, and this is a visualization that Hogan uh, offers to us where you are to picture a uh, pane of glass that basically sits on your shoulders and then extends down the shaft of your golf club towards the golf ball. Uh, Your head is kind of poking out from the top of the pane of glass, and that is supposed to um, help you visualize essentially your shoulder plane and as far as how Hogan teaches it, to keep the entire golf swing under that pane of glass. So in other words, your hands will never get above your shoulders. So that's the first visualization. We'll talk more about that here in a second. The second important uh, teaching from this lesson is the one-piece takeaway. And we're going to start there today. Now, the one-piece takeaway is something that we've seen Tiger Woods talk about. We've seen pretty much every great player, and maybe not even great players, like every tour player, high caliber, amateurs, whatever, they all talk about this one-piece takeaway. So what is that? What does that mean? If you've not heard of it before, basically picture you starting your golf swing in one of two ways. Hogan would argue that there's a correct way and an incorrect way. The incorrect way would be to start that swing only by moving your wrists and hands, not your arms. In other words, you're hinging the club back before you move your arms at all. Hogan would argue that the correct way to take the club back on your takeaway is by moving your hands, wrists, and arms together to maintain a V between your forearms and your hands the entirety of your takeaway. Now, when I was learning the game, this was probably one of the bigger lessons that I've learned, Uh, especially, you know, having played baseball in my childhood and essentially any other activity, whether it be casting a fishing uh, rod or or anything of that nature that required your arm to kind of move in these this multi hinged object meaning that the wrist has some play in it, the elbow does, and then ultimately your shoulder if you want to take it back that far. And I also liken this to, you know, throwing a ball where your arm has to stay loose. Now, Hogan goes back to this visualization of throwing a stone, like if you were skipping stones at a lake, but that doesn't come until much later. And so when I was learning the game, it was pretty difficult for me to understand that I had to take the club back in one solid unit. That wasn't something that computed well in my head. I didn't understand why that was a bad thing to do to start the club head back by just essentially hinging my wrist a little bit. What I've come to learn and what Hogan suggests in his five lessons is at any opportunity that you can keep your body moving in sync and as one unit in the golf swing, take that opportunity as much as you can because there's less room for error, meaning it's repeatable, it's consistent, and it's predictable. I guess said another way, there are less moving parts in the swing then, which makes sense if you think about it. You know, if your wrist is doing one thing and your forearms are doing something completely different and then the chain of your body just everything's moving differently, it gets a little sloppy. You get a little loose and then your golf shots are going to really 
hurt because of it, right? You're going to just produce poorly struck shots. So that one piece takeaway has survived over the years. And this book was written in the 50s. Uh, It's survived and it has been incorporated into almost every single teaching that followed Hogan's teachings. Now, one of the things that I found very interesting and continue, no matter how many times I read this thing, uh, to find interesting is Hogan's focus on the waggle. And it's, it's funny to me because when you think about teaching the golf swing to someone, there's always that, that stupid joke about, oh, make sure you, you waggle it. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And um, Hogan actually calls it out as a very important starting point in the first part of the golf swing. What Hogan suggests is that the waggle itself is so important because it's actually training your hands and your arms somewhat uh, for the shot that you're about to execute. So to say that in another way, Hogan su- suggests that if you want to hit a draw, for example, you need to move your arms and hands a little bit differently through the golf ball, and this waggle is almost like your rehearsal to get the feel for what you're going to do at impact. The same is true for any type of shot that you want to make, whether it's a, a fade, a, a higher shot, a lower shot, whatever. Hogan suggests that you kind of do this little rehearsal. Now, when you watch pro golfers on TV, for example, you're going to see all sorts of different waggles. One name that comes to mind, of course, is Jason Duffner. He's probably a golfer in recent times that has the most pronounced waggle, and he would do that multiple times. He's actually a good person to keep in mind when you're thinking of the importance of this little movement because, as Hogan suggests, your shoulders do not move during this little mini-rehearsal. And if you can picture Jason Duffner's uh, pre-shot routine, he doesn't move his shoulders at all. It's all his wrists. He just kind of keeps going back and forth with his wrists. I would encourage you, if you're not familiar with Jason Duffner, to go out on YouTube and you could probably just search for Jason Duffner Waggle. What I've come to learn is that Jason Duffner is actually a huge fan of Ben Hogan. I mean, there are many of us that are, but he has modeled his entire golf swing after Hogan's teachings. It doesn't look the same, but the fundamentals are still there. So that's just another testament to a high-performing player, former major winner, who continues to utilize the lessons that he learned in this book. So you've got this waggle, this mini-rehearsal, You then have the one-piece takeaway. You keep the club head low to the ground. We've all heard this before. Most often, you're going to take the club back in an inside path. So the club head is going to move closer to your body a little bit as you take the club back. And then Hogan gives us permission to then raise our arms a little as we rotate. Now, this goes back to the stance and posture lesson. Everything works together very nicely here. And, of course, all of this is happening very quickly because the golf swing doesn't take very much time. But as you rotate, the golf club is going to naturally want to raise up, especially if you are rotating your shoulders on a downward angle or at an incline. And this is a part of the golf swing that I have obsessed over learning the game for 27 years, however long I've been playing this game. And it's so weird because when I see golfers on a driving range, 
I most often see players really working on getting that club back in a quote-unquote correct position when, in fact, that's almost kind of counterintuitive because we don't hit the golf ball by taking the club back. It's the weird things like that, at least for me, that golfers obsess over that really have minimal impact on the actual quality of the strike. Now, I'm sure somebody listening to that will probably think, Adam, of course it has some impact on it. If you take the club back too far out on the outside, you might you know, lead to this one particular shot shape too far on the inside. You might lead. Yeah, I get all that. But just think about that. It, you're not hitting the golf ball on the backswing. And yet people obsess over this so much. Now, not to sound hypocritical, because of course we're talking about the first part of the golf swing, and Hogan spends a good amount of time in his short book talking about this. But I always found that to be just a little, like I said, counterintuitive. Speaking of rotation, and I had mentioned a little bit earlier that Hogan almost gives us permission at this point to start to raise our hands a little, or our arms a little bit. It's not a conscious, at least my interpretation of this, it's not a conscious I'm lifting my arms straight up feeling, but more so it's allowing our hands to raise as our body rotates. So I had mentioned that pane of glass visualization, and this is where Hogan goes into great detail about the importance of not allowing your hands to essentially get too high in the golf swing. It should be noted that there are many players. Justin Thomas, for example, comes to mind. And they, they get their hands really high in the backswing. There is no way that those hands are staying below their shoulder plane. There are other golfers, such as Matt Kuchar is a good person to think of, who has a very flat backswing. His hands certainly do not get above his shoulder plane. So is Justin Thomas a non-Hogan swinger? Is Matt Kuchar a true Hogan swinger? That's up for interpretation. But I think the main point is that those two movements are set up appropriately by a proper shoulder incline. Or decline, I guess, depending on how you look at it. So what does that even mean? Well, one of the things that I have struggled with in my golf swing is rotating my body, and especially my shoulders, too much on a horizontal axis. So if you want to picture this, I'm addressing the golf ball, I turn my body to take the club back, and my shoulders are more level to the ground as opposed to what Hogan would prefer. With Since I'm a right-handed golfer my left shoulder turning down towards the golf ball. You can probably hear in my voice that I'm actually doing this motion right now. That is allowing my body and my hands to start low to the ground without raising too quickly and too early in the backswing. Hence, I'm not breaking that pane of glass that I'm picturing laying across my shoulders. Now, I've spoken to many teaching professionals. I've taken many lessons from different uh, teachers. And I would say 80% of them remind me that at some point, 
you can create a second plane on your backswing. And so what that means is you have complete control and you are totally allowed to just use this one plane swing. Think again of Matt Kuchar's golf swing. He doesn't, he's not moving his hands up and down or his arms up and down at all. He just takes that club back. It stays on that same path. And then he comes through along that same plane as he makes contact. And then if you think of Justin Thomas, as I mentioned earlier, he'll take that club back on a plane, but then he raises his hands and that creates a second plane. You're able to do that. And in my opinion, you can play great golf, of course, using either of those two methods. My golf swing is a little bit closer to Matt Kuchar's. I've always felt that my swing is too flat, quote-unquote. But I've also been able, over the course of many years, honing this thing to play decent golf with that particular swing. But I believe a little bit of arm lift, especially as the club gets to waist height, is important to generate power. Because, at least in my game, one of the things that I've struggled with is getting stuck, where I'm taking that club back a little bit too much on the inside and a little too flat, where now, my at the top of the swing, my right elbow is almost glued to the side of my body, and I don't feel like I have any leverage there. I, I can't generate any speed there unless I turn my body extremely hard to the left to uh, generate some power at that golf ball. I remember one teacher um, who told me, you know what, you are working way too hard to hit a golf ball that could be going further if you had just allowed a little bit of freedom in your arms, which meant to allow my right elbow to kind of leave the side of my body just a little bit. I think in the first episode of this series, I uh, mentioned that I'm helping a friend uh, with his golf swing, he's just picking up the game. Um, he actually told me he's been listening to these, so hello, sir. Um, and he, having played many sports in the past, uh, strong dude, I noticed when he would take the club back that that right elbow was really flying out. And I think some people call that a chicken wing or, you know, there's other uh, terms for it. But it's a natural want from a new player to lift their arm up that way because that's what they see on television. That's what they see people doing who are good players and who are pounding the golf ball. That arm is getting a little bit higher away from their body, so they feel they have to do that right away. As I've explained, and as, as it's been taught to me over the years, you have to get your body in the right position in that first few feet of the golf swing before you are, quote-unquote, allowed to do anything with your arms. You kind of have to set yourself up in a good position first, and then you can do whatever you want, as long as it makes sense, and as long as you can do it consistently. Now, going back to Hogan himself and what he writes in his book, it's important to remember that Hogan wasn't the tallest guy in the world. I wouldn't say that he was short, but his swing worked well for his stature. And when he talks about keeping the 
club and arms below that pane of glass, the entire backswing. Well, that worked for him because he could move his body in a way uh, while working within the constraints of his height to make a good move at the golf ball. So if you're a taller guy or gal and you want to get your hands in a position that is similar to what Hogan is talking about, chances are you're probably going to be a little bit more on a steep plane compared to that of Hogan. That is a challenge that I think a lot of golf books have that's unspoken, but because it's unspoken is often forgotten by the reader. Keep in mind that everybody is different. We've heard that millions of times as it relates to the golf swing. Everyone's swing is going to be just slightly different. And I would argue that you don't want to create or mimic an exact swing to that of Hogan. You want to take and borrow the lessons that he provides to us. And you want to make those your own as it relates to your body, as it relates to your preferences and your comfort. Because again, keep in mind, Hogan had to completely rebuild his golf swing after a horrific car accident. So he was not swinging the club the same way post-accident as he was pre-accident. There were similarities, but it wasn't exactly the same. So there's a lesson in that uh, in and of itself. So those are the three main things that I wanted to talk about today. Of course, the uh, the waggle, which is something that I found and I continue to find uh, so amusing in reading uh, Hogan's Five Lessons. The One Piece Takeaway, which we all, I would hope, agree is an extremely important part of the backswing. And then finally, Hogan's concept of that pane of glass that rests on his shoulders down the shaft of the golf club and extending out towards the golf ball. As always, I am interested in hearing your thoughts on this. Um, I would again recommend uh, going out to my buddy Christo Garcia's YouTube channel. It's called uh, My Swing Evolution. He is a uh, golfer who completely, as the name implies, uh, revolutionized his golf swing and helped it evolve following Hogan's teachings. And he dedicated an entire... YouTube channel to it. It's got hundreds of videos on it. He's done a very good job. He's been on this podcast twice, I believe, uh, in the past. So um, if you're thinking of, or if you're looking for examples of what it is I'm talking about, he's probably the best resource that I'm aware of for you to go and take a look at on YouTube. Next week, or perhaps a couple weeks from now, uh, we'll be talking more about my rereading of Hogan's Five Lessons, and we're going to now talk about the second part of the golf swing, or we will eventually talk about that. You know what I'm trying to say, damn it. Ugh. You know, I, I'm, I always, you know, so we're going to leave the lessons uh, to the side for a second. And I always think about, um, you know, different things to do on this podcast. And, and, you know, obviously this idea to talk about my uh, interpretations of Hogan's book was a new idea. Now, let me know what you think of it. I always am open to your feedback. Um, I know I've had people tell me, Adam, you should record what you think you like. And I do. Pretty much every episode I do. Um, but I also want to make sure that this is content that you enjoy. So hit me up on email, adam at golfandfilter.com. 
you know where to find me on social media at Golf Unfiltered, and let me know your thoughts on doing books like this. Because as I said in the previous episode in this series, there are many golf books that I've read that we could talk more about. In fact, there's a second book by Hogan called Power Golf that I'm looking at right now on my bookcase that kind of extends his five lessons into a very different, or or not different, but a new level of teaching uh, that we could also talk about if you'd like. That's all for this week. Uh, I hope everyone's playing a lot of good golf out there. Um, I've got a golf trip coming up uh, next week at the time of this recording. I'm going with my buddy Chris McEwen, who you know, and then Tom over from the Chicago Golf Tour. We're going to take a drive up to Lasonia. I've never been up there. Uh, We're doing the whole drive in the morning, play 36, and then drive home the same day. So I will be dead tired that day, but uh, stay tuned to my social channels. I'm sure you're going to see a lot of pictures from that. And um, just go out and uh, be kind to one another. It's the reminder I give everyone every single episode. Be kind to one another. A lot of crazy stuff going out in the world, to put it lightly. Um, But at the very least, we can be kind, uh, have civil discourse, and just, you know what, go out and play some golf. Have fun, folks. 